Welcome to the Keep Birth Wild podcast. My name is Indy and through this series I'll be speaking to women who plan to birth their babies at home. Join me to hear home birth mothers sharing their stories of pregnancy, birth and postpartum. In today's episode, I speak to Taryn about the births of her son Orlando and her daughter Hermione, who were both born at home. Late in her second pregnancy, Taryn experienced a a devastating loss in her family, and she shares openly about how those very raw feelings came up in her birth. She went on to experience postnatal depression after Hermione's birth, so she describes what it was like navigating that postpartum time with a newborn while also processing the grief of loss, sleep deprivation, and the changed family dynamics going from one to two children. I just wanted to add that if you're feeling like you might not be up to hearing descriptions of intense grief or postnatal depression, you might want to just skip this episode for now and come back to it at a later date. Um, And you can just scroll down to hear earlier episodes instead. And if this episode does bring up anything for you, I've included links in the show notes to Panda and Lifeline Australia. And lastly, there is the odd swear word in this episode, so just be mindful if you're listening with little people around. With all that said, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode with Taryn and she tells her story really beautifully, so I hope you enjoy listening as much as I did. Hi Taryn, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Would you like to start by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and your family, maybe whereabouts you're living and what you do for work? So I am Taryn. Thank you for having me on the podcast. It's really nice to be here in this setting and be with someone that's like-minded in in the home birth world. Um, I have two children, a two-year-old and a five-year-old, and I am a postpartum doula, um, student midwife, and I also do lecturing and um, I'm a health manager. So I've got a few hats on at the moment, but hoping to move more into the birth world. Oh, wow. And how are you going, um, sort of what aspects of that work are you still able to do at home at the moment, given the current pandemic situation we're in? I'm able to lecture, so all universities have gone online. So I'm able to lecture, that's fine. Um, health management job, I'm also able to do working from home, but not really working from home very well with two kids and a husband who also works. Um, and then in terms of postpartum doula work, I am designing an online course for women and I put my studies on hold at the moment. Yeah, it's such a crazy time for everybody having to shuffle around and um, bringing in having the kids at home all the time as well as trying to work is, is really tricky, hey? Yeah, it's it's almost impossible to be able or to be expected to have the kids own work, be a wife or a partner. Um, yeah, it's just too many hats to wear in the one moment. Usually we have a village and we're able to support each other in different aspects and have, yeah, just I feel like all of our support structures and that might school or it might be grandparents or it might be friends or daycare gone and suddenly we're in that media family and really we're designed to live in a village, we're designed to have support structures around us. Mm, definitely. So did you have any ideas about when you wanted to start a family or was that something that you planned? I did at some point think that I would always have a child at around about 26 but that was when I was a little girl. I never thought that I would actually have a child. <laughs> 26 when I um, fell pregnant with my first when I was 20. I think I was actually 25 and I gave birth at 26. Um, so, yeah, that was, it was a surprise. Oh, it was a surprise, that one. How did you feel when you found out? But some, some part of me must have planned it at some point, <laughs> but I didn't know about it something in the universe. Um, so I was living in Kentucky in the US at the time with my now husband and it was very cold over there. Uh, so we spent a lot of time inside and I don't really know how 
how it happened. I was pretty in tune with my cycle and when I was bleeding and ovulating and I fell pregnant. Um, yeah, it was it was a big surprise because we had gone over there. We'd sold, sold our cars and our quit our jobs and decided to make this big move to the States. My husband was a strength and conditioning coach and he got an internship over there to work with the Kentucky football team. And we thought, oh, we'll just be living there. And I remember I took a whole um, suitcase of books because I thought I'm going to leave my, my library over there, <laughs> thinking that I'm going to be there for ages. Um, yeah, but we, only, we were there for four months and we had just planned this trip to New York. We were going to drive from um, Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky to New York through all these different states in America and um, yeah, I just remember when I was in New York, I was having a cocktail and I just didn't feel right and my jeans were tight and we went on this helicopter ride and I just felt really queasy and I knew something was going on but I just thought, oh, I'm not exercising, it's cold and you know, you sort of put excuses, some, something, you know, something else is going on. And then um, we were due to come home to Lexington um, and I had decided that I was going to do this 10-day meditation retreat in Texas and it was a Vipassana retreat, which is a silent meditation. And so I was going to go do that and my husband was going back to Lexington and um, I got to like my second or third day of Vipassana and I don't know if you know anything about a Vipassana, but you don't talk the whole time. And it's when you're learning the technique, you do it. You have to start with a 10-day retreat at a specific Vipassana place, and they're all around the world. Yeah, so I was at this Vipassana meditation retreat, and it was the third day or second day. And the type of meditation that you do, it's all about your body sensations. So you tune into your body, and you do this meditation from about 4 a.m. or you get up at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m until like 10 p.m. at night. So you're doing like 11 hours of meditation. You end up doing over 120 hours or something in, your, in the 10-day stay. And I kept visioning that I was giving a boy to my dad, like a baby boy. And I was due for my period. And there's, at some points in the Vipassana, you're allowed to go to like a teacher and ask them um, questions if you're having any problems and I remember feeling like oh, I'm just be bleeding by now and I'm not and I went to the, the teacher and I said oh, I think I think something might be wrong and I'm meant to be bleeding and she said don't worry my child everything will be okay and so I thought oh great okay well I'm not going to be having a baby everything will be fine um but then just the more I meditated each day it just became stronger and stronger and I was usually quite regular and it just never came. So I sort of knew, was very in tune with myself, meditating, you know, for so many hours, so many days. I knew that I was pregnant and I had all that time to connect with myself and really accept that that was happening. So by the time I got out of the Pasha, I had completely accepted that I was pregnant and I was excited. And yeah, so one of the first things that I said after not talking for 10 days was that I'm pregnant to my husband, well, partner at the time, yeah. Wow, and have you done a test at all? You just, um, you were sure and you just told him? I was pretty, pretty, pretty sure. Um, yeah, and then I, I mean, we did do a test when I eventually got back to Kentucky. It was a really, it was really, felt really long to try to get back to Kentucky to be with him. Um, his reaction was, oh, fuck. <laughs> but my reaction was, no, it's going to be great. And you're going to be, you know, great parents, as everyone thinks. And they find out that they're going to be the best parents. But they have no fucking idea what's coming. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I did do a test. Um, it was one of the first things we did when we got back together to see each other. And, yeah, obviously it was positive. Yeah, beautiful. So from there, um, did you decide to move back to Australia sort of semi-quickly? Well, what was interesting was that whilst I was at the Pashtun, my husband was going to be finding out if he was going to get a job to work at Texas A&M 
a university in Texas. If he didn't get that job, then we were going to move home. So he was dealing with that and I was dealing with my internal repulsion of stuff. And, yeah, he did. He didn't get the job and he had already booked flights going home whilst I was at the pasture. So, yeah, we were already coming home, but maybe that was the whole reason why we were coming home is because there was a baby coming. And so as when you got back to Australia, did you were you already aware that you wanted to have a home birth or did you look at other options as well? Um, I definitely didn't know too much about home birth. I, when I was still in the States, I was looking up like spiritual birth and I was, I had obviously just done like such a big spiritual process being a Vipassana and yeah, I looked up this spiritual birth stuff and tried to find out more and I, I found Jane Harvey Collins and read a lot of her stuff and then did find a few midwives but didn't know enough about home birth and I remember a friend, her sister had a home birth and I, this is when I was in high school and um, I remember thinking, oh, she's a complete idiot and she didn't know how unsafe and I had judged her so hard, not, not really knowing anything about it, but just that mainstream perception of home birth was so me. Um, yeah, so then I got home and still very in tune with myself, but we had no car, no job, no money, no, no nothing really. We moved back in with my parents and I, I remember I went to the GP to, I wanted to get a blood test and the, all the GP said was, so um, where do you want to give birth? Like, no, here's your options. This is the sort of thing that you, you know, there's home birth, there's public, there's private, do you have private health insurance, blah, blah, blah. We did have private health insurance. Um, and I said, oh, I don't know, I guess the local public hospital. So then just sent me a, sent me on my way to the local public hospital. Um, but I'm, I'm a bit of a researcher, so I do like looking into different things. Um, and I had, uh, heard that my local public hospital was quite good, but my sister had birth at a private hospital. And she had suggested her OB, so I had booked in a, an appointment to go and see him. Um, but I had also booked in an appointment to see a private midwife. Just I wanted to do all the options. Um, and, yeah, I, I had seen the OB and he was lovely and everything felt fine. And I sort of was like, oh, why was I thinking that this wasn't going to be a good option for me? Um, and then I was really, really, I was really sick. Um, just like normal pregnancy sick. I wasn't actually that vomity, but I think I got food poisoning or something. So I don't think it was actually, um, completely pregnancy, like morning sickness. And I had just cancelled the appointment with my home birth midwife. And she texted me the next day and I had said that I was feeling sick and she asked how I was and, that that small act of kindness was a game changer. It's like, gosh, I think she cares about me, you know? And so I um I thought, no, I'm gonna book an appointment with her and interestingly I didn't know at the time but my nutritionist, she had birthed with my midwife and I went to see her because I was had that morning sickness thing and I was really into healthy food and whatever and so I had um talked to her about her birth and she's like, Oh, you were gonna see Cheryl, were you oh, you have to go and see her. So I booked an appointment and stayed with my wife for an hour talking to her and that was the decision made. It was it was a no-brainer. And did you did you opt to have a doula at your birth for the first one? I did. I had a doula, yeah. I wanted to have, I wanted to have everything. Yeah, and, and the private um, midwife that you chose, did she um, practice on her own or was she part of um, a team or a clinic or something like that? Uh, no, she's, she was private midwife, but she did have, um, some kind of like group practice, but yeah, it wasn't, it was independent. Yeah, and when she came to the birth, did she have another midwife with her or was it just her? No, it was before that rule came in place, but for my second, I did have two midwives. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, going on to the pregnancy, how was that for you? Did you have any symptoms or any um, anything unusual come up or how were you feeling throughout the pregnancy? 
Um, I had a great first pregnancy, no complications except for um, uh, sickness or food poisoning at the beginning. And, yeah, it was, it was pretty easy. But did you find out the gender either? No, I didn't. Not with either of them. I'm just getting a blanket. I'm so cold. Crazy, isn't it? I turned off my heating because it's so noisy, and but I was prepared because I knew I've got a cup of tea and a blanket on my leg. <laughs> yeah, I'm like shaking over here. I feel like my voice is quivering. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe just going into um, when you started labour, how many weeks were you then, and what were some of the early signs? Yeah, so I was uh, 40 weeks on the dot. Um, at 37 weeks, I hadn't completely decided that I was going to home birth. I was having a lot of resistance from my, mostly from my parents um, around home birth, thinking that it was unsafe. And so I hadn't, I did have a low laying placenta, but I was never really worried about that. That you know, you could net, we couldn't be sure if it was going to move or not. And um, at 37 weeks, I got a late scan and it showed that, yes, it had moved and everything was fine. Um, yeah, we, so... Were you still living with your parents at that time? Uh, we had moved out when I was 35 weeks. Yeah, okay, that must have been good to get into your own space and um, not have, you know, those their fears around you and that sort of thing. Yeah, it was a big growing up moment. Hmm. Yeah, so um, it was about 37 weeks that I had like fully committed to home birth, and the most, the hardest, one of the hardest conversations I've ever had in my life was telling my parents that I was going to be home birthing. Um, and yeah, they took it very personally, and that I was going against their wishes, and um, yeah. The reaction was quite extreme and it was hard to know if I was sort of in my teenager rebelling against them or if I was in my adult, my mother sort of persona and being powerful and doing what was right. And it took a lot of work, a lot of internal work for me to continue along with that decision. My dad said that if something happened to the baby, then it was on us, and if my and if something happened to my daughter and the baby, it was on my husband. And it was the first time I'd ever seen my husband cry. Um, mm. Yeah, it was it was really major. We both cried a lot actually after that. Um, there were moments where they, my parents said that they would disown me if I did it. It was a pretty mm. intense period, especially at that time of, of birth, and it should be more about going internal and preparing for that transition, preparing for birth, I was sort of in a bit of a battle and very much in what felt like you know, the frontal lobe where you don't want to be, you want to be the back um, of your brain. Was, was your partner feeling at that time, was he really on board and feeling confident? or He fully supported me in any decision that I had made, was going to make or had made fully trusted in my intuition and in and in our midwife and our choice. Um, but it's hard when someone when someone makes you feel that way that you do sort of check in and go, oh, hang on, is this right? And should I be doing this? And oh, especially your parents, I mean, they shape all those early years and often when you're especially living with them, but even spending time with them, you can fall back into um, those sort of parent-child dynamics really quickly and yeah, this can be really hard to separate yourself and, and what you actually want from that. Yeah, it was a growing up moment. It was a moment of sort of breaking up with my parents, that you know, becoming my own parent to my own child and starting that family. And I, I did do a lot of grieving about that because I hadn't done done that before. I think I was still very much under their wing and, as you said, coming back, living in their house and in that family dynamic you just sort of slip back into the into the child role but I needed to step into my adult to be able to birth my child couldn't be a child and birth a child I had to be a woman 
Yeah, absolutely. My grandmother died giving birth to my mum. So you can imagine the fear that my mum would have had around birth, even though she had three natural births and smashed them. But still there was that fear around birth and that me thinking that I could just go off and do my hippie thing and, you know, um, there was obviously a lack of understanding but so much pain and, and fear around around birth because of what had happened to her mum and, and I wanted to be the one to to break that chain around fear of birth. I wanted birth to be something that was empowering and um, that I could celebrate and that could be just a normal event in our line and that, that lineage, you know, that deeper level of healing was what I was working on. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one person can break that and, and change that for, you know, your children. And that's, that's so important in not just with birth, but in every regard to recognize where there's ongoing generational pain and, um, yeah, be able to do, do that work to heal it. So, yeah, so you were 40 weeks and how did labor start for you? Um, so I was having, I think I had a show in the morning on, on 40 weeks, like bang on that day. And, um, I had decided not to tell anyone when I had any kind of signs, um, despite people wanting to know. Um, and it's because I had, I hadn't told anyone that I had, was going to home birth. So, uh, I wanted to keep that pretty close and sacred not to taint it any further because there had been there had been so much trauma already just getting to that point in that decision. So I was 40 weeks. Uh, I had a few things left on my list to do, as you do when you're um, in that period of transition into becoming a mum. just felt like I had a constant list and I was finally nearly down to it. I still I wanted to have a joint bank account with my partner. <laughs> And I wanted to like lodge a Centrelink claim, like two really ad mini boring topics. So I was getting some niggling kind of um like roughs and hicks, but I thought maybe it might be a bit more serious considering I had that show in the morning. So we went to Centrelink and I was pretty sure I was in labor. I was in Centrelink and I had to keep going to the bathroom. Um, and I, then we went to the bank to do the joint bank account thing because they were so important. It just felt like that as soon as that you weren't going to be able to do anything, I felt like all of the shops were going to close as soon as I gave birth and that I'd never visit the shops again and all the banks were closed and everything were closed and I had to do all these things that probably weren't that important but just felt really important to me at that time in my nesting phase. Anyway, so I did those things on the way to the midwife's office, met her and my waters broke in her office and um, in her 30 or something years of being a midwife, that had never happened, so that felt kind of special. <laughs> she could tell by how I was talking and that my eyes were glazed over. It was hard to maintain a conversation that I was going further into my body um, and I remember like going home that, Things are uncomfortable on bumps and stopping at traffic lights and any sudden movements that it was uncomfortable. And I had to sit on towels because I was leaking. <laughs> yeah. Well and truly in labour then. Yeah, exactly. So that was at that was at midday, and then my son was born at midday, midnight. Sorry. Midnight. Yeah. Oh, lovely. So did your midwife um, head over to join you fairly soon after that? No, she did not. <laughs> Because I thought, I thought I was just totally fine. I was making uh, dal because I wanted to have some food for the midwife when she got there. Um, my husband had brought movies over because we thought, oh, you know, we've naturally thought this is going to take forever. We may as well, you know, plan all these great things before we come become parents. So. He had got Avatar and all these other movies and I remember trying to concentrate on Avatar and it was just impossible. And I was in labour, you know, going in and out of, of breathing through contractions and bouncing on the ball and watching those blue people on the screen. I was like, oh, I've actually since watched that movie and I'm like, this is not a movie for labour. Like, no, that's not a real. Am I hallucinating or <laughs> Am I on something here? Anyway, um, yes, yeah, so I was making dull and 
I also made banana bread and I was making banana bread at like 6 p.m. And so I was in established labor by then, but I just kept pretending like nothing was happening and I was fine. And I remember I was, I had poured the batter into the tin and it took me about an hour to actually make it from, from having it in the tin to getting it in the oven. <laughs> Cause I was, I had so many frequent contractions that every time I went to put it in the oven, it was so hot. Like my son was born on the 6th of December. So it was, it was peak, you know, summertime and the oven was on and we were in this small little flat and it took me forever to actually just get that tin into the oven. And then once that was done, it was like, okay, now I can, I'm ready. I can give birth. <laughs> I've got my banana bread on. Everything's mm-hmm. going to be okay. So I was able to then retreat um, to the bedroom and I remember I just wanted to be completely on my own and I was very internal. I wasn't really making any noises. My husband was watching Avatar <laughs> um, and it got to a point where I was starting to moan and we had called the doula and she said, oh, you know, maybe you should just try going in the shower and just give me a call back later if you feel you know, you want me to come round, and she was pretty close. She lived pretty close, only like ten minutes away. And we, um, yeah, we were in the shower, and things started to get a bit intense. But I was still very internal and not not communicating. Like my husband later told me that he would try and ask me questions, and I just wouldn't respond. So he just didn't really know that things were progressing so quickly, and that I was very soon going to be giving birth so we were in the shower probably about an hour and by this stage I'd say it would be about nine o'clock um, so probably about three hours in active labor and I I loved being in the shower like that warmth on my on my lower back um, and I was on the ball and swaying and I remember feeling very supported by my husband um, there was just a time where I just went, yep, no more. <laughs> Shower, and in labour, they're just so, they know what they want. I love it. So I was just like, ah, no more shower, ready to move on to something else. And we called the doula and said, yeah, maybe it's time to come around. I mean, I wasn't doing any of this. This is all my husband. And I was just in the bedroom. And I was on my hands and knees on the bed. And I was started to feel like I was going to do a poo. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to do a poo. I'm going to poo. I'm going to poo. And I had to keep telling myself. I had, these, I had mantras all over the house and this one mantra that I kept saying to myself, that, you're okay, you're okay, I'm all right, I'm all right, I'm all right, you're okay, you're okay. <laughs> and there's no one there to tell me that I was. So, you know, my husband was, but he didn't know what was going on. So, Anyway, the, the doula came around and she was like, oh, my God, we need to get you in the pool. We need to call Cheryl and get her around. This is like 10 o'clock now um, or, you know, probably 10.30, I'd say. So the pool was filling up and I had to lay on my side to try and slow down uh, the contractions and do deep breathing. It was really hard to go against the forces of birth. And... Um, yeah, the, the pool filled up and I, I remember screaming, get that fucking water in because I just wanted to, I wanted that relief. I was so ready to be in the pool, but we just, we were so um, just not aware of where we were up to because I was so internal and not making noises like we had expected. Um, yeah, so then my midwife walked in and I remember it was probably about 11.30 by that stage and she had this like glow around her. I swear she just looked like an angel and she just walked in and said, everything's okay, my child. Just like the, the Vipassana teacher had told me, everything's okay, my child. You can get in the water now. And I got in the water and I just went, Oh, and just started pushing straight away while she set up in the other room all the race stuff and whatever things that she was setting up. And um, I remember doing like some 
some nipple stimulation and I was kissing my husband and everything. There was just so much oxytocin in the room and I didn't need any more stimulation. Like the baby was coming already. <laughs> I didn't need to progress the labor faster, but I had done so much research and so many courses and things that there was all these different points of just all these things that I wanted to try. So I just tried everything, even though I really didn't need any of those things. Um, yeah, and then I think I did like just a few pushes. Um, I'm going to say like maybe five or six pushes. My husband got in and then Orlando was born. How did you, so he passed Orlando up and, and you just held him in the water for a while? Um, so I was on my knees and then my husband was, I was like hugging my husband. So, my midwife did say, okay, baby's head's out, sure you don't want to roll over so that then I could bring the baby out. But it was just far too intense for me to be able to do that. Not so much the pain because I don't feel like I ever experienced pain. It was discomfort, but there was just intensity. And I just knew that I had to just stay where I was. So, um, yeah, so I stayed where I was and then she just, Orlando was born sort of out the other way. Um, we didn't see him when he was born, and then she pulled him under my legs, and then I brought him up through the water and onto my chest. Oh, wow. Oh, beautiful. And did you look and see if he was a boy straight away? No, I totally forgot about that. I was just so in love with him. I I just couldn't believe how beautiful he was. Mm. Yeah, so... Was the point? He did look like a boy. He's quite a masculine baby, but yeah. Then I did end up with him, and saw this this huge balls. <laughs> Baby's balls are so big. <laughs> yeah. Did you stay in the water to deliver the placenta, or how how did that be? Yeah, the delivering the placenta was harder than birth. My contractions were really painful, and um, yeah, but it, yeah came naturally and everything was fine. Yeah. And had he already had a feed during that time? How, how was his latch that the family went on? Um, so birth the placenta first and then the first latch was on, in, the, in our bedroom, on the bed, sorry, and he latched fine and breastfeeding was, yeah, mostly a joy. Yeah. How long did you end up feeding him for? 18 months. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Mm. So after that birth, um, how you know, how were you feeling about another birth? Were you feeling really confident, or and and actually, I'm interested to know what your family's reaction were was, and whether you had any conversations with them afterwards. So in terms of giving birth again, I couldn't wait. I completely fell in love with birth and couldn't believe how amazing women were, and that someone also could get paid to support someone through that. I just thought that was like, this is a real job, wow. Um, so I couldn't wait for birth. That was not a, nothing, not, like, not an issue for me. But, yeah, in terms of the family, um, that was hard because I, I wanted to call them and tell them that we'd given birth and for them to come around and visit. But and my husband called, my partner or whatever. And yeah, they they were really unsure. This is my mum and dad. They were really unsure about coming over and didn't know if they how they felt about it. That Lando was healthy and I was healthy and well, and it all was fine. They did come over, and of course, he's newborn babies are so gorgeous. So, um, Lando helped to heal heal that a lot. Heal, but it was still a, a few rocky weeks of them. Them feeling um, dishonored and disrespected, and that I went against, it, against their wishes, which I did. But that was because I was honoring my own wishes. Um, mm. Yeah, and th- things have sort of settled down. I mean, so much so that my my mom attended my second home birth. So, so heading into another baby was your um, next pregnancy a planned one? Yes, it was planned. I was studying midwifery at the time, and I. Th- thought I would fall pregnant like in between semesters so that then I could give birth at the end of one of the years, have the baby and then just go straight back to 
praying. Uh, didn't quite work out that way, but we did fall, we did fall pregnant exactly on, like, it was just one cry we were pregnant. Oh, lovely. And how did you feel finding out that time? Was it, were you surprised that it happened so quickly or, or were you expecting it? I, I feel like I was expecting it. Yeah. It wasn't that much of a surprise. I was pretty certain that I even felt the, um, like the egg implant, how there's like just a, there's a slight pain just after the implants, and I was like, oh, I think that's it. And I just felt like I knew that it was happening, even though we hadn't had the test or anything. So it was still very exciting. Mm. And did you go with the same midwife and doula for that birth as well? I didn't have another doula. I just felt like I needed another person in the room because I felt like I would have a different support person, whether it be my mum or a friend or someone to support Orlando. So I was going to another home birth and expected that Orlando would be there. So yes, I did have another home. Did have a home birth with the same midwife, and she was the first person that we told because we wanted to make sure we got her. Mm. And sorry, how old was Orlando when you fell pregnant again? Um, he was like two and a half or something. And how was that second pregnancy? Really hard. Really hard compared to this, the first one. Yeah, because I was studying, I owned a business and I was working at the same time. I had Orlando. Um, I was just at capacity in all areas and I got um, influenza. When I was at the end of my second trimester, it was really, I was really unwell, really lethargic. Um, yeah, it was, it was hard to, to keep working. And I, I also fractured a rib because I was coughing so much, but then we couldn't treat it and I couldn't really breathe well. And it was much more of a struggle. How did you, how did you crack a rib? Coughing so much. Oh my god! And not being able to take anything for it. Oh, how awful! Yeah, so it was probably like thirty-three weeks or something around then. So yeah, we were sure we didn't have an X-ray. Honestly, you can X-ray, but it's obviously not a good idea. Um, this is absolutely necessary. So we didn't completely confirm if there was a fractured rib or if it was a bruised sternum. Um, either way, it was excruciating. Mm. And how long did it take for that? Did that heal before the birth? Or? Yes, it healed before the birth. I also had a um, like a blocked ear, which is quite common in pregnancy, but I had it from the time I had influenza at the end of the second trimester until I gave birth. And so that was very disorienting because it was like I was deaf in one ear and I could hear myself talking like inside my head, you know, that feeling when you have water in your ears and you can't, uh, yeah, it was, it was hard. I ended up finishing work early. Uh, we also decided to move, as pregnant people do, they decide to move whilst they're pregnant. <laughs> um, so we were looking for a new place for such a long time that, yeah, we, we moved it, I think it was, it was probably about 34 weeks pregnant. Yeah, that's that sounds huge. That whole that whole period. Yeah, it was it was actually made a lot worse. Uh, uh, we had moved, and then my husband's mother got quite sick, um, and she she did end up passing away, and it was very unexpected. So I was at her funeral on my due date. Oh my god! Wow. I went 11 days over. So not. Did your midwife have any conversations with you about um, sort of how far post-gen she was comfortable for you to go? Uh, so she said, yeah, about 10 days over, then we would talk about the next step. She was very present and was completely fine with me doing um, just day by day. Let's see what's happening today. We're not going to talk about the future and she didn't want to put any, not ideas in my head, but there was no point in focusing on what was going to be happening in 42 weeks when we were only at 40 plus two. There was a lot going on at that time and a lot for us to deal with also just having moved. So yeah, we, yeah, we got to, 
I remember I tried everything. Like I did all the things that everyone had, like sex and acupuncture, um, dates and curries and funny movies and sad movies. <laughs> Just walking up and down the stairs. And I, the only thing that I hadn't tried was not trying. I was felt like I needed to let go completely before I could actually give birth. But I only knew that when I was letting go. <laughs> Because um, there was uh, leading up to giving birth, because my mother-in-law was so ill, um, there was a lot of pressure to try to give birth before she passed away, so that she could then meet my baby. So people were saying you should have a cesarean or you should get induced, and that was so against what you know I'm a natural mama, and I don't want to do those things. And is that that the best best interest for me and the baby, or is it the best interest for my mother-in-law? And that was really really difficult to to decide. No, I'm going to see what see what feels right for myself and my child instead of instead of something that will help. Wasn't even really going to help help her, my mother-in-law, because she was going to pass away anyway, and she didn't. Yeah, you know, she did pass away. And, yeah, so there was the pressure to give birth before she passed away. And then after she passed away, there was the pressure to give birth before the funeral. And not, because I didn't want to be giving birth on the funeral date because then I might not have enough support or I would miss the funeral or my husband would miss his mum's funeral. Um, so then leading up to the funeral date, then it was like, well, do I give, should I give birth now or should I? late and you know hold on baby and it's like there was never a time for the baby I was I kept felt like I was continually talking to the baby saying not now not now just hold on hold on or okay now 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 it's fine now fine now because different dates have passed it felt like it was safe for me to give birth and it wasn't until um the funeral had passed that I was it was I gave birth about three um you know we a week a week or so later that I really felt like I dropped in and was able to to be in that headspace and that body space to give birth and that morning we had just had a really beautiful morning it was um it was in early march so it wasn't quite summer but the weather was beautiful and we went swimming at the at an ocean pool and just as as a family of three and we had our like favorite takeaway and i remember i was watching this funny movie um the proposal it's actually not that funny but it was really funny to me in that moment um, and I was laughing and bouncing on the ball, just sort of, sort of like pretending that I was in labour, and then, and I did go into labour, but um, only only knew that I went into labour when I was actually sort of woken up that night by some labour pains. Mm. And yeah, how did things progress with the rest of the night from there? Were you able to go back to sleep, or were you awake all night labouring? I was sort of awake and asleep. For a while, um, I'm just trying to remember what time the midwife was called. So, so my mom was going to be there. My we had decided that we would either wake my my son up or just sort of let go and see what was going to happen with him. Uh, and then I also had a birth photographer there. So there was enough people to that needed to be contacted. But my husband was dealing with all that. So I I got up uh, and just started moving around um, probably more like midnight and then everyone sort of started arriving at midnight but I didn't know who was coming in at the house at that stage. I was just in the bedroom. Uh, yeah, and I, I remember feeling quite overwhelmed with how many people were there because my first birth I was mostly alone and just doing my own thing and didn't need anyone, didn't need any support. And then suddenly I had two midwives, my mum and a birth photographer. I was like, ha ha. It was overwhelming to see how many people were there. Sort of felt like I was being watched. And so I went outside and walked on the grass and it was a full moon. It was just the same as Orlando. He was born under the full moon as well. And I just was walking the grass and just letting the baby know I was there for them and that they could come whenever they were ready, whether it was soon or later. And, I felt really, really connected to the baby. Um, but I still stayed in my bedroom. So then I went back in my bedroom and I stayed in there for um, a few hours and my midwife 
would come in every now and then to do a check and not an internal but just you know blood pressure and heart rate and things like that and she just said am I annoying you (laughs) and I said look yes she said do you do you need me to not do checks because if you do you can tell me that and I'll record it I was like I don't need checks I just need to get on with it and just be on my own and I remember at one point feeling like oh I'll just I'll invite my husband in just so he feels included. It had nothing to do with me. But I was like, oh, you know, it's been a pretty hectic time with his mum passing away. Um, you know, he could come in and he sat in the room for a while whilst I was doing my thing, swaying and whatever. And he said, you don't need me in here, do you? I was like, I, I really don't. I just need to be on my own. So everyone just left me the fuck alone. <laughs> I could just do my, do my thing and... um. So the birth pool was set up in the lounge room and I was laboring in the bedroom. And it was just one point I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready to go out there and let everyone see me and to do this. And I just went to the bathroom first and walked out and then it was like I was on show, it felt, because I had the photographer there and I had my mum and my and the two midwives and even the midwives weren't in the room. Well, my midwife was, but the second wasn't, and my mom wasn't. They were in another room. And I got in the pool straight away, and, uh, I, yeah, I, she, I just gave birth fairly quickly after that. But it was it was more painful than the first because I was, I believe, because I was um, sort of healing so much. Well, still, still really grieving from, from someone passing away, but there was so much sorrow and pain in in what we had been through and that yeah that she wasn't going to be there that that she was in the room in some capacity and uh yeah just so my husband got in the pool and and helped me to just ground myself and to be able to still give birth and I just felt like I wasn't ready I remember looking at my midwife in the eye and said oh I'm not ready to do this. I actually don't think I can be a parent right now. I was, it was hard giving birth when someone had passed away. I know I've said that a few times, but like, I don't know how else to express how, how difficult it was to be in that into life and death cycle that I was in. I was in the birth phase, but also in the death phase of, of life. Like, not myself, but in that, yeah, just that whole cycle and, um, yeah, so then there was just one point where I was like, oh, I just need to open. And I just had to flick my brain to the, I'm going to open and roar. And I just screamed. And it was like a, it was screaming, not just for the pain, but I was screaming for the emotional pain and that I was, I was upset that she left us. And I was upset that, had to go through that kind of birth. I was just sad that I was here, baby, into the world, into the time of grief. And I was upset that I was angry at her for leaving us, so that she chose to die at that time. And I was angry that I had so much anger, and I just screamed it all out. And oh, yeah, my my little boy came out. He woke up at that time and my mum was there and he was just playing with his train set. He said, it's okay, mummy, it's okay. Like, obviously not knowing that, you know, how vulnerable and open you are when you're fully dilated and about to push a baby out. And, yeah, I, he was, he was actually quite distracting and, um, I, he kept talking to me, which was really sweet, but like, I was kind of like, like I can't concentrate. I'm pushing a baby out when you're here, and and just by miracle or whatever, he really needed to pee. And my mom said, "Oh, I'll just take him out onto the into the garden. He can just pee in the garden." And so yeah, she took him out, and in that moment, um, my baby was born, and she came out in one push. It wasn't like head, and then she didn't like turn. She just came out. She was. She was, it was almost like she was waiting for her moment when it was just all about her. And, yeah, so I did one of my only wish for 
that birth was that I was able to lift my baby out myself and so that I turned around. So I turned around and leaned back into Mitchell, my husband's um, chest, and pulled her out and I just held her under the water for a while and looked at her and she was so beautiful. And, yeah, and I just slowly brought her up through the water and my mum walked in in that moment and saw her, sort of almost like my mum saw her being born through the water. Uh, and her cord was wrapped around her neck and I just didn't even notice because she was just so insanely gorgeous. And, yeah, my husband unwrapped the cord around her neck and put her on my chest and we just sat there all together for a while just looking at her. Well, obviously it was a girl, but I didn't know that until much later when I checked. Mm. Oh, so beautiful. I'm a crier and you got me. <laughs> How was the rest of that birthing time for you um, with the placenta and did everybody sort of clear out and give you some space fairly quickly? Yeah, the second midwife left pretty quickly. I mean, I didn't even see her at all. I was almost like angry annoyed that she was there so she definitely disappeared pretty quickly um the center was fine just came out uh again it was small it was very painful um and i just got into bed and started to my dad came over a few hours after the placenta was born and obviously everything around home birth was just fine by then and they had accepted that that was that was what I did and that was how I birthed and my mum got to see it and she was still a little bit unsure about it even though she saw it all <laughs> because you can, yeah, she lost her mum so yeah. to that fear is always going to be there so yeah then then we were just trying to settle in as family of four and my mum took my son for a while which was so helpful and we still had the grief, still had the grief around not having my mother-in-law. Uh, so lots of tears, lots of tears from my husband's um, dad and from his sisters. And so, yeah, she brought Hermione. She brought a, a lot of tears. Um, and she was a terrible sleeper, absolutely terrible sleeper. My son was a terrible sleeper, but she was worse, so I was sort of averaging um, like four hours of broken sleep each night and ended up, yeah, just not, not coping. Mm. And just going back a little bit, how was introducing Orlando to the new baby? Well, he had been there at the birth, so, and I had done lots of prep work with him about a new baby coming, but he... Um, he found it a bit tough. <laughs> he found it a bit tough to adjust to having a sibling. I mean, he, poor thing. He had lost his 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 grandmother. We'd moved house. He was starting preschool, and he got a new sibling all within two months. So it was hard for us to cope, but it was really hard for him to cope. And he needed lots of one-on-one. And I'm really grateful for my parents that they were able to help him. And, yeah, we had people come over and play with him and give him lots of special time. But he still thought he thought she was awesome. Of course, she was so cute. And, yeah, going on, I mean, I guess your postpartum time was all the more intense for that loss that you'd had. How was, yeah, how was that sort of early postpartum in the next few months? How were you feeling emotionally throughout that? I wanted to cope. I really wanted to be brave and feel like I could cope with grief and birth at the same time, with death and birth at the same time, and with lack of sleep and trying to support my husband and trying to support my son. But So I put on a lot of brave faces and pretended like everything was fine, but ultimately um, I was really struggling. I was really struggling. Um, sometimes my husband would see that things went okay by maybe certain things that I'd say or that I ended up not being able to fall asleep even though I had the space to fall asleep and I found it hard to 
to be on my own with both of the kids. It was really traumatic um, trying to support Orlando with his emotions and then also my own emotions and then a new baby and she was a sensitive little baby. And, yeah, I, I got I thought that I was doing okay and then my midwife sort of said, few things that maybe you know I know you're a strong person and but considering everything that's going on I think maybe you should go see someone about depression and I was like oh no no that doesn't happen to to someone like me like you know I I studied postnatal depression as a midwife I nah I, I totally discounted it and just wanted to keep believing like I was okay but things just kept getting worse and worse and I would get less and less sleep and then couldn't fall asleep or couldn't fall back asleep and feeding through the night in the middle of the night I'd just be awake all the time and yeah my mum and my mum and husband eventually I went mm, I think something is really wrong here so I was starting to have suicidal thoughts but didn't think much of them just thought that they were kind of you know things are really hard so just tend to think about wanting to leave but I didn't know that that was a sign of depression I just thought that that was something that was a normal coping mechanism um anyway long story short I got diagnosed with postnatal depression which turned into extremely severe postnatal depression and uh we ended up moving in with my mum and dad because I was suicidal wow and yeah I mean I guess that's a huge story in itself but um uh I guess sort of quickly how how long did that go on for and, and what were some of the techniques that you used to be able to move through that and and how are you feeling now? Now I'm awesome. Uh I was really lucky to have lots of support uh with my parents and I had support from my midwife and I had different psychologists. Uh, I did see a psychiatrist once, but that wasn't the right fit. I had a postnatal depression mother's group, which wasn't really that great because they only focused on depression, and I needed to not focus on the depression. Uh, I I worked on it every single day. Uh, there were points where I was so exhausted that I couldn't even walk. I could only crawl. I was because uh, Hermione just still never slept. <laughs> I got sleep consultants in. They were all shit, and that was freaking awful trying to sleep train. Um, so I continued to breastfeed, even though people said, "Oh, you have to formula feed if you have postnatal depression," or "Oh, you definitely can't co-sleep." And there were mo- there were nights where I really I couldn't co-sleep because I couldn't fall asleep, so I had to take drugs to fall to sleep. And I went on antidepressants for a while and thought I'd never get off them. But I did within the shortest period that you could. I had six months on them and weaned myself off with support. Um, yeah, so it probably took me took me a good year to to feel to feel better, and then it's been probably another year of of healing previous trauma that has come up through this depression. So now. Being able, being at a point where I would feel comfortable to support someone else through it. Mm. Wow, that's such a huge journey, and thank you so much for sharing that um, so openly. It really, it's not something that gets spoken about a lot. So I'm sure heaps of people are. I mean, it's you know, postnatal depression is really common, and hopefully that'll be helpful to other people who are listening as well. <laughs> Well, we might finish up there, but thank you so much for sharing your story. That was, yeah, really beautiful. And if you would like to um, share a little bit about your business or if you've got any um, pages or services that you'd like to put out there for any expectant mums, yeah, you're more than welcome to do so. So I'm just building my website. It's taranwoods.com and I've got an Instagram page, taran.woods, and I love to support mothers or am supporting mothers in their pregnancy so that they can plan for their postpartum period so that they feel prepared and loved and supported. And for any women that are struggling 
I'd love to be able to support them through whatever they're struggling with. Yeah, amazing. And I know you've got your online course that's coming up soon, and I'd love to share that um, when you get started. But what area do you practice in generally? I'm on the northern beaches of Sydney. Amazing. Well, I'll pop all of that information in the show notes. So if anybody would like to check out Taryn's pages or what services she's got offering in Northern, welcome to do so. And yeah, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, Taryn. It was a pleasure. No worries at all. Thank you for having me.